good morning and happy Thanksgiving. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor H.A. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, one book at a time, one chapter at a time. And yeah, we're even doing this here on Thanksgiving because on Thanksgiving, it makes all the difference who you're thinking. We're thinking the God of Israel, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And on this Thanksgiving Day, we're looking at Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. And of course, the concluding word is just Alleluia, praise the Lord. So very fitting for Thanksgiving. It's a very big psalm here. It's one of the larger ones, over 40 verses. It's one that recounts Israel's history. It summarizes it like all through different aspects with the, the fathers, like with Abraham, with the rescue from Egypt. It actually recounts, this is really a cool uh, psalm because it actually recounts all the plagues of Egypt. Um, it gets into the part about the wilderness wandering. Tomorrow on Black Friday, we're going to see uh, more in Psalm 106. Um, gives a little bit of a darker perspective on things, and it's going to keep going um, and extend the history lesson further. But <clears throat> why, why all this history? Because it matters when we're thanking and being thankful. What are we being thankful for? Who are we thanking, and what have they done for us? And this is what God has done for us. Uh, not just for some people a long, long time ago. And today we are joined uh, by my friend, Pastor Chris Bernacki, pastor of Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Florence, Alabama. Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. So good to have you with us again. Hey, thank you very much, AJ. And I'd like to just say, you know, that, yeah, I feel truly blessed. I feel truly thankful, you know, and important thing is i suppose that it's like more more than i deserve yeah yeah no I, I i totally i totally feel you i totally feel the same way i just you know i've got i've got a beautiful and faithful wife who sticks with me and puts up with my insanity and keeps me sane and i've got two beautiful little girls and i've got so much more than that and it's just you're right like you just you look at it all and you're just saying there's no way I deserve all of this. Just, I mean, your everyday experience just shows God is gracious. Definitely. And so this is, you know, it's a time that we, we can reflect on that today. That's right. As we, as we eat lots of Turkey and get our tryptophan fixed, right? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. That's, that's right. That's right. Well, Psalm 105, this is one of the larger ones. So I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing through. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and go part by part. And we will and we will have read the whole thing by the end, Lord willing. Um, but just uh, taking it part by part will just be easier because it is such a, a long psalm, not just in, in terms of how many verses, but in terms of just the span of it. Um, I mean, there aren't that many psalms that are that are like this where they just kind of recount such large swaths and such a big summary of the Old Testament. Um, any thoughts just kind of before we get going, just kind of like how this psalm works or, you know, it is one of the last two psalms of this book, the fourth book of the Psalter. So um, any thoughts kind of like on how this fits in with the rest of the psalms or its place? Well, I guess one thing to note is that it's a historical psalm. There aren't that many like it. So like Psalm... 78, Psalm 105, Psalm 106. Um, they're his, so they're recalling like the of Israel. Um, but then also, 
one thing to point out is Psalm 105 does get read with Psalm 106 in a sense. Um, because you'll get a sense as you read it that it's very positive, that there's mm-hmm. none of the negative attributes. You know, it's all about God. Um, it's not all about the people and how they responded to God always through the history of Israel. Right. You know, the wanderings had a lot of rebellion. Right. And and this psalm doesn't recount that, but Psalm 106 does. And so Psalm 105 and 106... Um, like can get read together in that sense. Yeah. And thanks for pointing that out. That was something I was thinking about that they really do complement each other in that way. And we're going to see that tomorrow with Psalm 106, thanking God, even when we're in the midst of, of suffering that we brought on ourselves, you know, thanking God when, even when we are um, struggling to feel thankful uh, because of the darkness that we just have walked into because of our rebelliousness, right? So, yeah, in Psalm 106, you've got that side of it, that kind of uh, both aspects, you know, thanking God both in the good times and the bad times. In, in Psalm 105, though, there is a little bit of that, too, I think, not in terms of, as you as you, as you you said, um, it's not about, like, the response, but in terms of how God does things. There is a little bit of this, God is wondrous both when he um, bestows blessing and when he brings calamity, because we see this in a couple spots in the psalm, like it's showing that in Israel's history, God's behind both. He's behind things like even like the famine or like Joseph being imprisoned or like the Egyptians enslaving his own people. God's behind both the good and the bad. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, like the language in the psalm is that, you know, he is our Lord, um, you know, and yeah, we praise him for both his judgments and also his, his miracles. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and get started reading. And as we do, would you say a prayer for us and for everyone uh, listening today and uh, everyone who will be listening perhaps afterwards on the podcast, but um, just as we give thanks today on this uh, special day? Definitely. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, you're gracious, remarkable, worthy of honor and praise. We thank you for revealing your everlasting covenants through your word. We also thank you for the work of KFUO, for thy strong word. As we begin to study Psalm 105, we pray that you take us deeper into understanding more about you more about your love for us, more about your covenants, more about our called vocations. But help us also to praise you, to remember you, to serve you, that our service might be missional and evangelistic so that many more might ultimately come to know you and to grow in faith. So in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Yeah, thanks, Chris. Yeah, certainly um, when you're thanking God for all the blessings, right? Like it's, uh, you're moved to share the blessings, aren't we? Um, all right. Well, let's go ahead. It's, it's a longer Psalm. So I think we're going to kind of take this in some bigger chunks here. So I think I'm going to go ahead and read the first 11 verses. Um, yeah, this will, this will set us up well and we can, it, it, the first 11 verses, um, they still kind of focus on, or, or maybe even actually, 
I'm actually going to go ahead and go through verse 15. That kind of gets us up to the point um, kind of before this famine thing is introduced. So it's a larger chunk, but um, we just, it'll, it'll keep us good for pacing here. So Psalm 105, first 15 verses here. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he's done, his miracles and the judgments he's uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When they were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. So just a, a really beautiful introduction here that, I mean, there's a couple of points that seem to be emphasized. Uh, I mean, one, Abraham is just very clearly in view. So he's like the, the first focal starting point here as we go and recount the wondrous works of God. Uh, and particularly, though, it's the covenant that he makes with Abraham, right? That's the sec the middle section of what we were just reading. It's, you know, the covenant, the sworn promise that was confirmed as a statue, everlasting covenant. I mean, like it's just God's promise is just highlighted and underlined again and again is, is the core thing here. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, to give you a little bit, I think, into the context of this psalm, because mm. I, I think it helps for us to help, like, understand it a little bit, is it the first several verses, like 1 through 8, almost comes word for word um, in um, First Chronicles 16. Hmm. And so it's like it gives us the context, because it doesn't tell us that David wrote this psalm or the context of it, but... Right. But second, I mean, First Chronicles 16, um, one could argue that this psalm is written into the context of David giving, giving praise to God when the ark finally gets to Jerusalem. Hmm. Like commissions Asaph and his brothers to give... There's like this, when you read this psalm, you can almost get a picture of David, who also had a covenant, you know? Um, right. And... And so, and, and it's like, almost like you could see David singing, you know, or sing along right. as the musical instrument. And, and more than that, like, it's like more than just, he tells them, like, you are now going to give thanks always. He also emulates it. So he actually, he actually does it for them. You know, he gives the example that we're to follow. And that is Psalm 105, you know, and. And so it it really is a remarkable psalm of thanksgiving because God is present among the people. 
Yeah, that, that's a really interesting connection. And, um, you know, it is it is one of those things that, you know, the ESV and most modern translations are very helpful about. They give you those footnotes. And the footnote does indeed say that for these first 15 verses, just it, it says, see First Chronicles 16, 18 to 20, or 8 to 22. Um, it, there is like, a, yeah, there, there's some kind of relationship between there. And you can see that how it would make sense that if David's going to be, you know, thanking God, um, as he should, because he's, you know, the recipient of, of this covenant as, as king, you know, the covenant that his throne is going to last forever. They, you know, there's going to be this, this promised seed, this promised, um, descendant who's going to rule on his throne and really just fulfill everything that it represents. And so as he's thanking God for that, it's like, Hey, you know, let's, let's thank God because this isn't just, um, this, this, you know, fluke, you know, one-off kind of thing. God's been doing this for us the whole time. This is just the latest in a series of these moments of covenant and promise that God has done. This is just grace upon grace. Right. And hundreds and hundreds of years of, of God being faithful to his promises, you know, that that's what this Psalm brings up after all of these, these patriarchs. Right. Hundreds of years are recounted within this psalm. Yeah, you yeah, know that's right, and, and and a lot and a lot changes, right? Um, and especially it's interesting to consider, like if this is kind of David looking back on all this. I mean, you know, in verse twelve, when they were few in number, of little account, you know, um, yeah, this is talking about that time when you know Abraham was a you know was a wanderer, right? I mean, like what did you look at the scriptures? What, what does it say in Genesis? You know, at some point he he bought himself a a grave, like a burial site for, for his wife and for himself. Right. Um, so it seems like the only thing that he actually bought there though, he was just, yeah, right. he was just, it was just wandering. I mean, like, so just a very different situation compared to like, you know, later, like with King David, where it's like, you know, they, they have a, you know, a united kingdom in the North and the South, there's a set inheritance of the 12 tribes. I mean, so much changed between Abraham's day in his own day, but what didn't change was that it was the same God behind it all. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's see what it. Yeah, I. Yeah, I forgot what I was going to say now, but but yeah, I. Yeah, I well, I was going to I was going right. to point out. I'm not sure if you noticed this, um, or if you had anything to make of it anyway. But at the end of 15, the verse we just read, I thought it was really interesting. It says, "Touch not my anointed ones." And of course, you know, we know that anointed one is, is the translation for uh, the Hebrew word Messiah, right? And you, and you were just mentioning, um, well, one of the Lord's anointed ones, namely David, right? The, the anointed king. Very interesting, though. Touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. I mean, it seems like <clears throat> I don't know, the people collectively are referred to as anointed ones. I mean, the, the word is actually here, my messiahs there in the Hebrew. Um, I, I don't know, just, just very, I'm not sure how many other times in the, in the Bible it talks that way. Um, did you, did you have any thoughts about that? You know, I honestly didn't. Um, I think that that's very interesting though. And I didn't think of that. It's but right. It's, I mean, it, it you, it does read like that these, that this is the people. Right. I mean, I think that, you know, we, we shouldn't, uh, you know, you'd hate to take this like word out of context and just say like, 
oh well like you know th this proves like we don't we don't need a king or we don't need prophets because every man's a prophet or something like that or every every man's a king or something like that um but i i think that i mean it is striking i i do think it is only here and in in first chronicles that you actually get this particular form like my my messiahs but like isn't it interesting to think of you know there there is god who sees like the the line of of judah right who sees you know saul and david and solomon and all the rest you know um even even ahaz and manasseh the bad ones you know uh, sees hezekiah he see he sees his son jesus he sees all of it right he sees the prophets he sees the messiahs the, the kings right and he sees all of that and he sees this little germ this little seed of it right here in its infant stages and there he is protecting it and nurturing it, making sure that no harm comes to it, right? Just think about it. The whole story could have been cut short if, you know, any one of these things had gone wrong. If Abraham had lost any of those battles that, that he fought, those battles with kings, right, that he fought as he was trying to rescue Lot. Through all these little things, like along the way, you know, there's God who sees the whole story um, before him, just constantly paving the way for you know that that ultimate you know part of the story that we know in jesus christ the the true messiah just just anyway i, I think maybe that complements what you were saying about david just that like there's david and he's saying like wow god knew all of this was going to happen and he was protecting it from the beginning right and yeah because you get you definitely see it in this psalm great frailty and yet god is preserving it um and so you see God's providence in it all, and you all, but they also had to do something. And and so, like, you know, being Thanksgiving, I, I just wanted to suggest like a some some like like a, a two different, you know, um, like movies because like for instance, mm. so you see like Shenandoah, and you mm. get this guy, and he's a farmer, and he sits down with his family, and and he's and he says a prayer, and he says. He says in this prayer, like, I worked really hard for this. You know, the sweat of my brow provided this meal, but I thank God for it all anyway. Hmm. And then you see, like, a contemporary version of this is like the Simpsons, and it's like Bart it says a prayer on Thanksgiving, and he hmm. says, <laughs> well, God, I worked hard for my money, you know, and I bought my toys. I bought my video game. Thank you for nothing. Yeah. And so, and it's easy to say that, you know, when, when it's like, well, I worked for this, you know, this was all me. I was the one who had the babies, you know, like in the context of this and stuff. And, and this, yeah. I was the one who worked hard for these blessings. Thank you, God, for nothing. And, and we just see that more and more because, you know, what's the reading for Thanksgiving? The 10 lepers went right. When mm -hmm. only one returns, you know, where are the other nine is what Jesus asks. Right. But that's, that's just the challenge of this psalm. You know, will we respond with thanksgiving even right. in hardship or, right. or not? Well, yeah, yeah. No, and that's, that, that's really, that's a, that's a great illustration. I mean, just how the human heart is. Like, we look around and we're like, hey, look at all this stuff, right? That, I mean, this is me that I did all this. Uh, failing to like kind of look down and see ourselves standing on on the shoulders of giants that like you know we weren't going to be in a position to do any of this stuff 
had it not been for our parents and their parents before them and like everything else. I mean, just there were so many ways that we were just given so many opportunities. And, and if we had not been given so much grace and so many opportunities along the way, we weren't going to be able to do any of those things. You know, I mean, it, it's God who gave us the the skills and the abilities and the work ethic or whatever else, you know, we could, we could have had, um, so many other things go wrong. And despite our best efforts, we would have had none of it. You know, I mean, it, it, we really underestimate that sometimes we, we have such a, I mean, it's just part of the struggle of being human. It's easier to focus on what you can see instead of what you don't see. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, so verse five and then verse eight repeats the word, repeats the, you know, the word remember. He just wants you, he says, remember. And I think the importance of that, you know, like everyone always wants to talk about decisions. I decide to follow Jesus. And when did you decide? The decision theology stuff. And and um, the only time that word seems to be used is like Jesus says, I've chosen you, you did not choose me, or I chose you before the foundation of the world. I think a better word for us really is the word remember. It's very passive in a sense. You know, it's remember what God has done for you. You know, remember your baptism is the way that, we, you know, we would use it. Remember it. Now, it seems to be more active when God remembers. You know, yeah. like in, in Exodus 2, God hears the cries of, of the uh, Israelites, and he remembers, and he shows up. Right. You know, and then he goes on to call Moses and, and, and then the plagues and stuff. But, it, like, his remembrance is, like, active. Our remembrance is a lot more passive than that. Yeah, and you, and you see that in this psalm, right? I mean, because it says, like you said in, in verse 5, you know, remember the wondrous works. But then in 8, when it's talking about God's remembrance, you know, he remembers his covenant forever, you know, and even the words like, you know, like confirm, right? Like, what do you do when you confirm something? Well, you remember what you've done and you kind of reinstate it and, and you, you know, you, it's kind of inherently a kind of remembrance, right? And uh, I mean, I mean, it's like, you know, when we do confirmation, right? What is that? Well, remembering our baptisms, among other things, right? So, you know, yeah, there's definitely this idea that, you know, God's remembrance is really what, what makes us alive. And when God remembers, that's what saves us. When God remembers his covenant, you know, that's what, that's what gives us all of these good things. We remember just in response, you know, so it's like God, it's in, it's, it's interesting because it's like, you think about it, you know, if God didn't remember us, uh, there'd be nothing for us then to, to remember, you know, it, it's, it's when we remember, it's only kind of reflecting what God does, his own remembrance. Right. So it's, uh, yeah, I think exactly. that you're, in your, your way of kind of thinking about it with like kind of active and passive, I think it's kind of like that where we're, our remembrance is just kind of reflecting, but God's remembrance is like the sun shining. Right. Exactly. Well, let's take a look at the next part. We, we still do have like a minute or two here before our break. I want to read, um, from verse 16 here, and it is just really interesting the way that, that, it's it's described here so far in the story it's like okay well this this seems like a you know fairly standard summary of it but it's just it's just striking to see how god is behind everything both the good and the bad starting especially with this famine in verse 16 when he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread he had sent a man ahead of them joseph who was sold as a slave 
His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said had came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the peoples set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham, and the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. So just pausing there, I mean, just, I'm, I'm not sure it actually like says this stuff it nearly as clearly in Genesis and Exodus itself even. But yeah, it's like, it's, it's not just, you know, we, we all remember that, you know, God, you know, hardened Pharaoh's heart. We remember that. But I mean, it, it's God is the one who brought the famine on the land. God's the one who sent Joseph, you know, like bound down to Egypt. He sent him down there is the language, right? You know, it's not his brothers who send him. God sends him, right? Um, and it's God's the one who's even turns the Egyptians against them to begin with. You know, he's both he's responsible for, for all of it, the whole story. Well, I agree. And I, um, I, I somewhat hesitate or like push back when I hear someone say something like that in a, in our context, like God sent the earthquake or something. Yeah. Um, because in this case, it's like God's word confirmed it. His, his prophet confirmed it. Uh, sometimes I say if God, if, if a prophet hasn't claimed it, then then we shouldn't claim it either. But then again, but it is true that God is behind all of this. Right. You know, and sometimes he's working good things and um out of bad things and and sometimes we're not always in a great position to see it, that it's sort of shrouded in mystery. You know, the slave becomes a master. But that wasn't easy to see at the time that, you know, it talks about him being in shackles and put in iron. Right. Yeah, no, it, it that, that's um, that's well said that, you know, it, it's certainly God behind everything, but to to say exactly what his purpose is, right? That's the that's the challenge. Well, hang on to that thought. I think we can talk about it a little bit more when we get back from the break, but first we do need to take a short break here everybody. We're looking at Psalm 105 on thy strong word. We'll be right back. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.G. Espinosa. We're looking at Psalm 105. We just read this portion here that's really striking in Psalm 105. 
you know, yes, God's responsible for all the blessings, for protecting his people. You know, he sees the, the kings, and especially the king, that will follow in this train, right? And so he's protecting it from the outset. But then, you know, we see this. This is really striking. He's the one who sends famine on the land. He's the one who sends Joseph into slavery. He's the one who turns the Egyptians against his people. He's the one who does both the good um, and the disastrous. So, you know, th this is something profound, and um, we're joined today by Pastor Chris Bernacki, pastor of Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Florence, Alabama. And Chris, you were just saying how, you know, it's uh, it, it, it's hard because, you know, um, in our own context, you know, this has been going on for years that people will say like, oh, well, this hurricane was sent by God because people in the city were doing these sorts of things, right? Or, you know, God sent this earthquake to, to tell us, you know, this, right? And, and you get people who are very, you know, or, or even, you know, God allowed this you know, terrorist attack to happen or whatever the case may be. Um, and, you know, I think, I think you're rightly suggesting that, you know, we should have really good helping of humility, um, before we open our mouths to, you know, speak judgment or something like that. But on the other hand, you're right. I mean, you can't really say that it's like, well, no, this earthquake wasn't from God. It was from Satan. Like as if, as if God, you know, is not actually in charge of some things or as if some things God's like, uh, I don't know how I'm going to work any good out of that disaster. Like, no, of course he's working good out of every disaster. I mean, like, so really, I mean, that, that is kind of the boldness of this part of the Psalm. Like God really is behind all of it. Um, in hindsight with his word, we can sometimes see his purpose, um, not all the time, but here we do see it. You know, uh, Joseph was sent ahead to provide for his people. I mean, Joseph sure, sure didn't know that at the time, though, <laughs> right? No, right. And sometimes, I mean, you know, it's hard for us to see, but, I mean, God's goal might not be that we're all, like, sort of happy, healthy, and wise, right? Mm. If it, His goal might be that the most amount of people might come to him. And and yeah. within within that, it might just take a world suffused with with evil for the most amount to come to him, and, and we just don't know you know, yeah. how how all of this this you know mystery plays itself out. Um, but the first act here is is trust. You know that's the example of of Joseph more than anything else to to trust God. I do think that Joseph, the Joseph story is a very interesting parallel to Jesus, unlike mm -hmm. a lot of other people. You know, he, he's not always talked about as clearly of being the type of Christ. Yeah. And the reason is maybe because he's not really in the, the family line in the sense that, like, Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, not Joseph. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. but, but nonetheless, like, it's like, I mean, who the the master that becomes a slave, you know, mm -hmm. the one who gets his, you know, Genesis like bru bruised his heel, mm -hmm. you know, stripped of his robe, um, put in prison, and, and so yeah. it's like you it's like you read the text and you see Jesus' passion in 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 all of what happens to Joseph, right. Right. Well, yeah. And, and of course, then that's that's most, you know, poignantly seen then in the cross where at the time 
nobody, well, except for maybe one person, and this is really something, right? At the time, like nobody saw that this was good, right? At the time it was like, okay, God has sent famine on the land and sent Joseph into slavery, and this is terrible, right? And so similarly, you know, there's Jesus on the cross, and everyone's like, this is terrible. This is a terrible thing. I mean, like, you know, you think about it, the people, the disciples, right? Um, it says that, you know, they hear the women's um, story, and they're like, what? This this sounds crazy. What does it all mean? They go they go see the, the empty tomb, and they're just kind of like shaking their heads like, what's going on? Um, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, I mean, they're, they're past tensing Jesus, right? Well, he, he, he ended up being a great prophet. You know, he, he did a lot of good things. We thought he would be the Messiah to save us all, right? But I guess not. I mean, it, I mean everyone in that moment, right, was like, I, I guess this terrible thing has happened, and that's the end of the story, right? I mean, you, you just don't see God's purpose in it. It's hidden, but there's only—it seems like there's possibly only one person— who looked at the cross and said, this isn't the end of the story. And that was the thief next to him who says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I don't even know how, but somehow this guy knows it's not the end of the story, but he's the like only exception. Everyone else is like dead end, game over. Yeah, and I find it very interesting that he said that, right? Remember me, that's all he asked. I mean, Jesus yeah. gives them a lot more than he asked. Today you'll be with me in paradise, but it's not really what he asked, you know? And so Jesus well, yeah. responds and gives him even more. At the moment of his death, you know, Jesus' ministry is like not over. He's still doing ministry on the cross and promises this guy salvation. Well, you know, and uh, I mean, in, in a sense, yeah, like he's giving him more than we can possibly ask. And then on the other hand, though, is there really anything more we could possibly want than God remembering us, right? This is what we were just saying, right? If God remembers us, then we can have uh, blessings, and we can have peace, and we can have happiness, and more than that, we can have life even in the midst of death. You know, that if if God remembers us, then, then I mean, isn't that something, you know, the thief is about to die, you know, and he's like, remember me, because he knows somehow, again, like it's just, uh, he, he is so blessed to have this insight of faith that if, if Jesus remembers him, even though Jesus is about to die, then not even their death can get in the way of that. I mean, it's, it's, it's just absolutely tremendous um, that, that God, God remembering us trumps everything else that might happen. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. I, I, do, I do think that you're right, that there are a lot of... Um, awesome parallels between the Joseph story and the story of our, of our Lord Jesus. And, um, yeah. And you, and you do see that, that idea too, of just, uh, you know, there, there he is languishing, um, thrown in prison, right. But God doesn't forget him. He pulls him up out of prison. And, and I think that that's the big resurrection parallel, I think, right. Joseph is thrown into prison, um, unjustly, right. For charges that were trumped up and, you know, made up. Uh, but, but then, just like our Lord Jesus, right, who's who's uh, executed on charges of, you know, treason, of being an insurrectionist, starting a rebellion, right? Um, but then God says, you know, I remember you, even if everyone else is trying to forget about you and has cast false judgment on you, I'm pulling you out of there. And uh, he pulled up Joseph um, out, um, like it says, it says, uh, the king sent and released him, the ruler of the people set him free. I mean, so, so the, the king of the universe 
set Jesus free from the bonds of death and made Jesus Lord of his house, the, the house that is um, over all people, made him, made him the king of the house of Judah over the, the house of Adam and all his descendants. I mean, like you definitely see some parallels that are pretty striking. Well, let's go ahead and press on here. This the story doesn't end here. It keeps going. We we've got the Joseph story. Uh, we've we've got you know we just read through verse twenty five, dealing with uh, now the slavery in Egypt, and so it seems like God God even to a certain extent caused that to happen, and so what's he doing in response here? So this is picking it up here at verse twenty six. He sent Moses his servant and Aaron whom he had chosen. They performed his signs among them and miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark. They did not rebel against his words. He turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die. Their land swarmed with frogs, even in the chambers of their kings. He spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout their country. He gave them hail for rain and firing lightning bolts through their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees. He shattered the trees of their country. He spoke, and the locusts came, young locusts without number, which devoured all the vegetation in their land and ate up the fruit of their ground. He struck down all the firstborn in their land, the firstfruits of all their strength. All right, so just pausing there. Um, this is this is so interesting that you get something as complete as this. You actually get like just another account of the, the plagues of Egypt right here in, in the Psalms, no less. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, there's a couple of them that are left out like the gnats, you know, and, and like the livestock dying in the boils. But for mm -hmm. the most part, I mean, it's just, it is a summation of what happened. It, mm -hmm. And so um, I think that that's all, in, at least as far as I know, that seems to be what's going on, that he's he's recounting them. He doesn't do it absolutely completely, but but he does almost go through like one, two, four, seven, eight, ten. And then he, you know, he begins with, he begins with the, with the ninth one first. Yeah. He isn't that a bit striking? Darkness. Yeah. Isn't that a bit striking that he, that he starts there and, and, and then kind of goes back and does it in order. Why, why do you think it starts off with darkness? Uh, I, you know, I wasn't totally sure why, why, for instance, like why the numbering happens the way it does or what, why number, number nine is first. Um, well, I mean, I, I was puzzling over that myself, and I mean, it is interesting that you do get this construction here in, in verse 28. Our translation is, he sent darkness and made the land dark. They did not rebel against his words, um, but the translation might need to be something more along the lines of, like, when he sent um, darkness and it became dark, you know, they did not rebel. Um, so as to say, I mean, to recall, you know, that like this was one of the final instances, um, if I recall from the Exodus story, you know, this darkness just happens. There's no preceding um, situation between uh, Moses and Pharaoh. And I think that when Moses does finally then see Pharaoh, it's just like, I mean, and there's no more of this trickery. There's no more of this like, okay, well, I'll let you go. 
um, except for, uh, well, maybe not. I mean, like, there, it seems to be like it was kind of, um, it was almost the last straw, right? So it seems to be like th that it's kind of mentioned here acknowledging that this was actually one of the very last things that happened. So it's not like this is like some kind of, oh, well, uh, this was some other tradition where the darkness thing happened first. Like, I don't think so. It seems like it re remembers how the story went. Um, so why is it going first? It, it might just be kind of, again, mentioned because it's showing God's sovereignty. He's the one who's controlling their hearts. And like with this, um, with this plague of darkness, I mean, it really shows in a dramatic way just how he dealt with the heart of Pharaoh in that moment. Right, and just, I mean, yeah, I get, yeah, when I read that, I, I sort of get the sense of, like, what is, like, an absolute darkness being in, in a cave without a light, and there's nothing you can do. You can't even go 15 feet. You know, you can sit there and wait for a savior, and that's about all you can do. And I think that your explanation of, that the translation of verse 28 is probably the best I've heard. You know, they, they, there's nothing they could do about it. And mm -hmm. so they, you know, they couldn't rebel. Um, but take it, you know, cause there's a lot of, there's, you know, the, I think it's the, the ESV translates it as a question. Oh you know, yeah. Like, no, I think, it, yeah, I think it's the, the... rebelled against his words. Yeah, I think um, it's the NIV it's a way of or something. Because they didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, yeah, yeah, it's it's the yeah the NIV that they they say he sent darkness and made the land dark. For had they not rebelled against his words, right? Yeah, no, it's um, you know, it's just trying to you're trying to like make sense of this. It's like, hang on a second, like what what's going on here? Um, maybe it might just be like even helpful just to like to read a little bit out of, out of Exodus here. But yeah, for that, that plague of darkness here, um, yeah, right beforehand, right, it says here, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people go. No no uh, account, though, of a meeting between them, which, which was really very rather different. Um, and then, so afterwards, right, it just, it's a very different scene. So um, it's where is it here? Let me let me get the right spot here. So it goes and it describes the darkness, and then um, God speaks to Moses, "Go serve the uh, no 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 wait." Uh, stretches out his hand towards heaven. There was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. For all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, "Go serve the Lord." Right? I mean, so like, after that. He's just like, <laughs> you go on ahead, <laughs> like, like no, no more of, of, of me doing this little game with you guys, like, just, just get out. Um, and, and it was like the, really this moment of just, uh, like a low point of just like, okay, we, we can't just like what you said, like, we just, we just have to take this, like there, there's no, um, rebelling against it. So, I mean, it is, it is unique among the, the plagues in the way that, that Pharaoh responds to it. And so it does, I think, make sense to kind of, you know, when, when talking about this as the theme, kind of starting there and then remembering like kind of how we got to that point and then finishing the, 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 the story out with the 10th and final plague. I mean, it's a pretty common device that you kind of start um, kind of towards the end and then you kind of go back and recount it. Yeah, that, I think that's a great thing that I hadn't noticed, you know. Um, and I, I think one of the things that that's, that comes out very quickly is just the fact, you know, God is the, 
one doing all these. So he sent, yeah. you know, Moses. He sent darkness. He turned their waters to blood. He spoke. Right. He turned their rain, right? Every single thing that God is the actor here. Yeah. He even turned their hearts to hate to hate his people. Now, I want to make the point, though, that it's not like he made their heart evil. I think oh, by right. doing good to Israel, it made Egypt hate them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it also, like when you read Exodus, the account of, of God sending all of these, he doesn't harden Pharaoh's heart until the sixth plague. Mm. Prior to that, Pharaoh's hardening his own heart. And so, I mean, it took six plagues for God to say, you know what, it's like I've got enough. I've had enough of you, you know. And so at the same time, you know, you always have this presentation of divine sovereignty, but you also, it's never at the expense of human involvement. Yeah, well, that, that's that's a really good note, and I, I think that um, you know when, when I when I look at that story too, I mean, like when when God hardens his heart, I don't think that's God zapping him. And Pharaoh's like, man, I was really going to let you guys go, but I just don't know what came over me this morning. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, right. it's it's not as if like Pharaoh is like the reluctant participant in all of this. I think that basically, when it comes in terms of will. Pharaoh hardening his heart is the same thing as God hardening his heart. That when when it happens, both are willing participants in in the event. There, I think that at first, you know, Pharaoh is described as hardening his own heart because it, it's just sort of you know this whole thing is starting because he got, the guy's stubborn. The guy doesn't want him to lose his slave labor, right? Um, but after, as you were saying, like you know, six plagues, someone in the audience is like surely this guy is getting the idea that this is a bad idea. Like he should back down. Like he doesn't want to play chicken with God. Right. Um, but I mean, God said he was going to do all this so that, he, you know, all of Egypt and all of Israel and all the world would see his wonders. Right. And so someone's like, well, how could a man be so stubborn? Well, God, well, let me remind you, God was involved in all of this. Right. So I, I sort of wonder if it's like, if it's just sort of, um, you know, towards the end, we're just, kind of having that aspect of it, God's providence is kind of just the part that's focused on for our sake as the people hearing the story. But I mean, really all along, we should take it at every turn that God's hand is there in the hardening and Pharaoh is right there with him, hardening his heart at every step along the way as well. Yeah. And well, you know, even when, if you compare, like say, say Psalm 106 to this, you know, it's almost like even God's people, um, are so hard in their own hearts that God gives them, you know, and we'll read them in just a little bit, but all of these wonderful things, like I opened the rock and the water gushed out and, and you know, fed them with quail and all of this stuff. And it's like, but we do we remember how they responded to? So we're, it's like if you read yourself into all of this, we're not so much better. This is just, it's our nature to be like this. And it's not easy to find thanksgiving um, in in our lives because maybe, you know, by just by nature, we're going to see it. And like, I did these things, you know, I, I was the one who worked for all this. And so it's just, we're not all that different than Pharaoh is the point I want to make. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that's right. I mean, he thought himself, I mean, yeah, he definitely had that same spirit. You know, I, I'm the God here, right? I mean, that's what that Pharaoh literally thought of himself. 
um, you know, all of this is because of me. You know, you think of, um, you know, Nebuchadnezzar touring around Babylon, like, look at what I've done. Look at how great it is. Look at these gardens, right? We just, um, we fall into that trap and, uh, just, we want to thank ourselves, you know, and, uh, the purpose is not just to be thankful or to thank ourselves. It makes all the difference who we're thanking. And again and again, like you're saying, just, you know, every, every line of this part of the Psalm starts with he, right? It's just, he's the one who did this. He's the one who did that. It's all, it's all God. Well, let's go ahead and, and close this out here. We do want to have some time here at the end to, to make some final comments. So this is the last chunk now of the story. After Exodus, we get a little bit more. There's a, there's two more verses here um, that are kind of uh, before they get out into the wilderness. Um, but it continues on to this final stage of the story before the conclusion. So let's pick it up and take it to the end. Verse 37 here. Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold, and there was none among his tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for dread of them had fallen upon it. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give them light by night. They asked, and he brought quail, and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river. For he remembered his holy promise, and Abraham his servant. So he brought his chosen people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing, and he gave them the lands of the nations, and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. So, yeah, it's um, <laughs> there's a, there's a few things that really are I think are just really striking about that one. Just as you were saying, this isn't like Psalm 106 because you know there's all these things and all these stories that we think about, right? Um, you know, where like, for instance, the thing about the, the, the quail, right. Or the rock or uh, many of these episodes where we know that, well, hang on a second. Didn't, didn't this other part also happen? Wasn't there also like grumbling and rebellion, but those things aren't mentioned here very mercifully. Right. So that's kind of like one thing that stands out at me. We're just focusing on God's part, which is just good, um, and, and, uh, faithful or again, remember, remembering it says in verse 42 at every turn. And, and then the other thing too, right? It's just, isn't that interesting? It, just, it pairs so nicely with what you said. We, we thank ourselves for all of our hard work. Well, what's it say in verse 44? He gave them the lands of the nations. They took possessions of the fruit of the people's toil. You know, I mean, really, <laughs> we took what they had worked so hard for. I mean, and that's really true of us too, that whenever we have any blessing, I mean, just think about how we really are being given left and right what others have worked so hard to give us. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely agree. And, and it's just, you know, it's our, it's, it's our nature to say that it's, that it was us who did it. You know, we received things. I mean, even at this church or something, I received all that, like the congregation for 80 years has worked for, you know, the building projects and all the rest of it, all these things that the people before me worked for. And then you get a call and you just, and you receive it. Right. And so, so, you know, it's all these people of faith and, and who, who've come before you. And that's what like, that's what the psalmist and, uh, you know, perhaps David is recalling. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's right. I mean, it's just, just think about it. Like we, you know, um, 
we never, we should never think to ourselves, well, you know, look at all this stuff and I built it right. You know, even, even when you are the one who say is the entrepreneur who starts your own company, it's like, you know, you're, you're doing that in a, in this nation of laws that you didn't build, you know, and like, uh, yeah. ha having the leg up of doing it in the United States of America is a, let's not understate how much an advantage that is. Right. I mean, it's like, we're always building on top of something, even if we do build, Right. And, and we, and we didn't build the past, you know, I mean, it's just, we're, we're always, I, I like the way that you put it though, with a call, like, you know, when a church calls you, you know, and, and you, and you received there, it's just all that faith, the people who call you all, like all the good things that God's already doing. It's just none of, none of that is, is what you did. You're just showing up and, uh, just being able to reap the harvest though. It's very humbling. Yeah, and I, I, just, I do love the fact that it, like, that this psalm ends with alleluia. Yeah. You know, and praise the Lord. Right. Yeah, it, start, it's, it ends the same way that the, the next psalm begins, um, you know, kind of showing how they are really just paired together. But, uh, yeah, no, 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 it's, um, that, that's, thankfully, that's, uh, that's something that I think a lot of people know, but... Yeah, it, it's um, it's kind of a toss-up whether you would in translation put that as you know praise the Lord or whether you would just put you know Alleluia there because that that's that's what it is. I mean, when we're when we're praising God, um, sometimes I think people distinguish very sharply between Thanksgiving and praise. Like, you know, well, like well, praise you're you're just praising God about how great He is. Thanksgiving, you're thanking Him for what He's done. I, I mean, like there's not really a strong difference actually, because we don't, we only know God because of the things that he's done, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like we, it's not like we have some other insight insight. Like we see like what he's up to, like, Oh, I see, I see you're up there. We only know God by his grace because of what he has done because of how he's remembered us. And as we thanks, uh, as we give thanks and as we praise, um, it's always just remembering how he has remembered us first. But Ah, goodness, all out of time, but we, we made it through this, this Psalm 105. I'm really happy that we could have you on to do it and just, um, you know, say, say hi to Stephanie and, uh, and Adeline and, uh, just God bless you, Chris and all the people there at our Redeemer. Well, thank you very much, AJ and you too. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Thanks brother. You too. Everybody, Pastor Chris Bernanke, pastor of our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Florence, Alabama. Thank you for joining us today on Thanksgiving. May you have a blessed Thanksgiving. Remember that God has not forgotten you. He has remembered us in Jesus Christ, his son. We thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. Till next time, everybody. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word. Produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.